This is Father Gregory Pine. And this is Father Patrick Briscoe. And welcome to God's Planning. Thanks to all those who support us. If you enjoy the show, please consider making a monthly donation on Patreon. Be sure to like and subscribe to God's Planning wherever you listen to your podcasts. Boom. All right, Father Patrick Mary, we are recording a couple of episodes ahead of time. As Father Bonaventure likes to remind our listeners, everything that we do is live, but some of them come before the live part. Um, <laughs> time traveling on God's waiting is the most magical phenomenon there is. It's a great grace, mm. and to time Indeed. travel with you is a blessing. But um, things in your life uh, in this time which pertain to future times, anything cool that you've been reading, any apostolic ventures that you're excited about? Well, when we wander around the month of November, I often think of my parents and grandparents uh-huh. who share the same wedding anniversary. So November 30th. So for us, you know, for most people, November is about death and such. Yep. But in my family, it's kind of about marriage, which is nice because that's a death of its own, I guess. Yeah. Wait a second. Don't. Sort of. (laughs) (laughs) Let's not lean too hard into that. Yeah. So that's what I think about in November. Nice. What do I think about in a minute? We have no birthdays or wedding dates in November in my family, but... What do we have? A deep and thoroughgoing commitment to pumpkin spice lattes. Ooh. Right. So there's uh, yes. the special seasonal beverages, which remind you of why it's great to be American. Nice. And even whilst you're gearing up for a wholesale criticism of commercialism and consumerism in the month of December, mm. you are enjoying its benefits in the month of November. <laughs> in North Providence, Rhode Island, which is a town north of Providence, Rhode Island. No Isn't way. that amazing? In North Providence, Rhode Island. There's a, uh, an auto repair shop that yeah. each fall puts up a sign on its reader board, and the sign reads, it's back, pumpkin spice oil change. <laughs> <laughs> and it's my favorite reader board in all of New England. Yeah, that's awesome. Because if you're like mechanics and stuff, you know, you're not unexcited, but you also have to do it slightly ironically, and then you can get away with it. Because I bet you all of those guys are wiping oil off their hands and then downing pumpkin spice lattes. Uh, But in this episode, we're going to talk about something that's pertinent to the month of, well, end of October, beginning of November. We pray for uh, the resurrection of the living and the dead. And um, in this time, we we especially commemorate the souls of the faithful departed, and we pray for them in a particular way during the month. So we thought that we would do an episode here on the general judgment and resurrection. Basically, what happens at the end of the age? Because we have a little bit of data from the sacred scriptures and the church's tradition. But then we have a lot of room in which to think philosophically, theologically, mystically about what that means for us, for the body, for Christ who comes in search of us. So, Father Patrick, your thoughts, initial thoughts on the general judgment and resurrection. Well, we, in, choosing this, in choosing this topic, we've already started out by making the most important distinction that I think we need to make, that a lot of Catholics may only be implicitly aware of, and that is we will be judged twice. Um, that's to make you feel extra special guilty. (laughs) That's how much we love judging as Catholics. We think there are going to be two judgments. Um, Indeed, there will be two. Uh, There's going to be our personal judgment right after we die. We uh, we will be judged for what we have done and what we have failed to do. But then at the end of time, all of creation will be reviewed and changed in light of Christ's resurrection from the dead, the general resurrection. The trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised, and we shall be changed, which is my favorite movement in... Handel's fantastic of us. Um, so, the, so the idea of the general resurrection then has to be distinguished from that personal event, 
which happens at the moment of death. So I think that's where we need to begin to say, well, there will be there will be a judgment. There will be two judgments actually. There will be the one judgment that's personal, and then a judgment that a judgment that's associated when everyone comes back. Um, so that last that great day spoken of by the prophets will come to fruition at the end of time. Uh, we'll be reunited with our bodies just to lay out a couple of principles about what this day is going to be like, right? And then, as we've said, everything will be judged in light of Christ in his glory. Yeah. So I think um, maybe one way in which we could lay the groundwork or one way in which we could set the scene is to think about that particular judgment as a personal judgment, which isn't to say that it's not interpersonal, but it's especially personal, right? So you think about your merits and demerits, like you said, the things that you have done and failed to do. And so you stand before Christ, and the question is posed, you know, like, have you shown up for me or do you recognize me? And the answer is, whoa. Um, and then the second is an especially interpersonal judgment. At least that's how it's described. Like we see how all things have played their role well or poorly within the context of God's providence. So it's like God is orchestrating all things through the sacred humanity of our Lord Jesus Christ to return to him for their salvation and for his glory. And we have been more or less willing agents of that transformation, right, of that glorification. And so in the general resurrection, we gain a deeper appreciation for what was going on, for what is going on, and for what will go on, will be going on unto ages of ages. So maybe, um, yeah, thinking about this, like you have the personal and the interpersonal, what is it about the general judgment and the general resurrection that especially captures our imagination? Because I can think of a few people who talk about this, some are more worried, some are more excited, some find in it a space for kind of freewheeling speculation. So yeah, your thoughts when we talk about the general judgment and resurrection. Yeah, I think one of the common fears in this concept, the general judgment, the general resurrection, uh, the resurrection of all of the dead, which would be great, um, uh, is that people often feel like all of their sins will be forced to, re they'll be forced to relive all of their sins in front of everyone, yeah. right? Like this is the idea. Um, we, we joke about um, the great movie in the sky, right, where everyone gets to see everything, the tell-all for every soul that's ever been. Um, and that, that should cause us to shudder. You know, we ought to be ashamed of our sins. We ought not to want to relive them um, in, on the one hand. On the other, it should give us relief because at that time, um, those wounds are, it's not as if those things will be revealed such that will you know, their, the, their purpose will be to, you know, rub our noses in it. It's not like that. It's not, it's not as if they'll cause us further harm, but it's a moment, it's a moment to encounter Christ's glory and to see what things really mean. So I, so I think not only will our failings be revealed to us in important ways, um, but those things, uh, th those moments of sinfulness, which have been moments for mercy, uh, will be magnified in their glory. So I think it will be, it will be something like, um, reliving uh, a doctor's appointment, right? Like where you've been treated for a whole bunch of things, you have to account for the times that you didn't do all the physical therapy that you should have done, uh, but the doctor will point out the points where progress was made, where uh, where the encounters were truly glorious, and so that that moment will be not only a moment of, of fear and accountability, but a moment of renewal, of healing, of new life. Uh, yeah. Okay, so I have a wild uh, theory or... What would you say? Yeah, let's just call it a theory about what this might look like. So I want to bounce it off mm. you and see uh, ways in which it corresponds or does not. Yeah, let's go. Bring it up. <clears throat> okay, so I'm, I'm especially concerned about what you described, like the shame or the embarrassment factor. Mm. 
So there are people who think about the prospect of the general judgment and general resurrection, and they're like, yikes. There have been things that I have done, sometimes alone, sometimes with others, of which I am deeply ashamed. And the prospect of those things being revealed to all is terrifying, right? Because it would be very embarrassing. And so, yeah, like you said, the great movie theater in the sky, it's like we all sit down before the real of all creation. We see the part that we played in it, whether well or ill, and then everyone else gets to hold that, you know, in one kind of like one gaze or one glance. And the pro yeah, the prospect for many is like, yeah. Okay, so here's my wild harebrained theory. And the, what I want to capture is the fact that it's communicated with love, it's communicated with mercy, but it's also communicated in a way that is richly interpersonal. So I think about the general judgment, you know, so Christ, who sits at the right hand of God, exercises this judiciary power, like we profess that at the end of the creed. St. Thomas ends his treatise of Christ about seating, with seating on the right, seating on the right and judging all the living and the dead. Um, so I think about like Christ at the center of it some way. I don't know how it's spatial or how it's temporal, but Christ seated at the seated at the center in glory in some way. And then kind of like vectors of love and mercy proceed forth from the glorified humanity of Christ. You see like, you see the love go out, you see the mercy go out. And then that love and mercy like touches each aspect of creation, each individual human being. And then you see it kind of like light that person up. Um, it's like that game that we played with when we were four where you put the different colored things in the pegboard and then you flip the switch and then you see an image. It's like you see each thing in its place because they're all now lit up by the love and mercy of Christ. And then you see how that light, or whatever it is, okay, this is, yeah, I'm not especially imaginative, but you see that light refracted through the humanity of each individual person and then you see how it touches the lives of others. So it's like his love and mercy passes through you. It's refracted. It comes back to me because of the times that like we live together and the times in which you corrected me for being overly precious with my language and preaching and stuff like that. And I'm like, wow, the love of God, the mercy of God has passed through Father Patrick Mary Briscoe and has touched my life. And you see that. But then you see this whole web of love and mercy spun out from our Lord Jesus Christ. But we also see the way in which that light, that love, that mercy is diminished in certain instances. And it's, it's made manifest to us how so, right? the part that we played in that, and then the way in which it's made more glorious or even complicated, subtle nuance by the fact that it's, it's passed through wounds, it's passed through a history which was broken and repaired. It's like all of these things. So you have our Lord's humanity at the center, these kind of rays or vectors of love and mercy which go forth, touch the lives of all, you know, all creation, and then you see how that is subsequently, um, what's the word I'm looking for, like refracted through the humanity of each individual and then touching the lives of others. And then it kind of like, you know, takes those who are to be with him unto ages of ages and then leaves behind those who are not. Um, so thoughts, good, Ooh. bad, indifferent, whatever. <laughs> yeah, what I really what I really like about that is the I think the biggest problem with the movie theater in the sky is that it's just sort of based in curiosity. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I want to know everything that Father Gregory did wrong ever. <laughs> and I'm just going to sit there and munch popcorn and sip <laughs> a giant Coke and watch it all go down. That, that, can, that can't be what the general resurrection, what the general judgment is about. It, it can't be about that. It, it has to be about something deeper. So I like this account because it, it, it emphasizes the, the interpersonal dimension in a way that I think is is really beautiful and uh, you know given that you're writing your doctorate on on the Jesus that you put Jesus in the middle of it that's very nice and probably what Christians believe too so I mean, you know I also want to have assent to that um, I think that it draws a out especially a dimension of our Dominican life that we often talk about right which is the ways that we rub up against each other um, I think that it would it's cool it would be cool right to have a kind of accounting of how all of that unfolds 
um, because there are, there are things about our life that are just mysterious <laughs> that, that, that we just don't understand. We don't understand each other. We don't understand what, why we do the things that we do. Not, not that they're completely insane, uh, but that, that there's a lot that's left to a kind of someday. And I think, that, I think that the last day, the day of judgment, the day of the general resurrection, is the day when all of that will be, will be fully revealed. So the light bright image, I think, is very nice uh, that you were using. I think it's something like um, another image might be something like being able to finally zoom out on the mosaic mm -hmm. and see, the, see where your tile sits in it. Um, as regarding uh, other people, but it would have to be a kind of three-dimensional mosaic for that image to make sense. So I'm going to posit that, you know, a, a mosaic in the metaverse that is three-dimensional. Yeah. It's interesting too, like, I think a lot of people think about the general judgment and resurrection as a trial or tribulation to be passed through and mm -hmm. then the life of heaven begins. But if these images, you know, which we're proposing are true, the mosaic, the light bright, the interpersonal richness of salvation history as it registers my humanity and yours, then it's just the beginning of the fullness of heaven. Because, all right, we die, we're judged particularly, we may pass the time through purgatory, please God, we go to heaven. And then in heaven, we're separated souls, and we're in heaven, right? So we're wholly, fully, perfectly happy, right, in the presence of God. But the general judgment and resurrection adds something because you, you, you get your body back, all right? So you're, you're more capacious, right? And as a result of which, you can enjoy a greater fullness of that perfection. It's not like the former was in any way lacking, but the present, is now richer. And so it's like the general judgment, the general resurrection is in fact the first moment of the fullness of the fullness, which will characterize the rest of our lives unto ages of ages. And in that way then, it doesn't seem so much like trial or tribulation to be passed through as it does like, yeah, the beginning of the rest of your life. This is the first day, Never mind. there's a song and it was like the Garden <laughs> State soundtrack, but whatever. Uh, so it's something, which I think is, is more in keeping with the love and mercy of God and less like, creepy judgment fest with passive reception by way of movie theater and popcorn consumption. Um, so yeah, I don't know. What do you think about that? Uh, obviously we, we want to emphasize the dimension of what being reunited with your body adds. We don't want to say that there's any kind of imperfection in heaven, of course, um, which you didn't, but, but there, there is a, yeah, there is, there is a something more that is, that is added. There is a completion. There's a, there's a fuller fullness. Um, of of that of that final day of that being ultimately the one who Christ made you to be perfected in glory among the angels and the saints and that to think of that as being separate separate from the life that we have now doesn't make any sense right um so that that's the part that you were underscoring there that I really like too is that is that we have now the beginning of our glory um, so that if we think of the last day as a day that's far off or wholly unrelated, we're, we're missing the point because we're, we're on the trajectory, we're on the way. Um, so it would be more like, I don't know, it's more like, I think we're more like in the rehearsal dinner at a wedding. You know, it matters. It's the real thing. Everything's unfolding. Um, but but it's, not brought, it's not brought to completion until, until the banquet itself. Maybe something like that. Yeah. And then... Within that setting, you can propose an understanding of human life that is more continuous, right? And then the particular judgment, the general judgment, don't seem like these, whatever you call them, full stops or sejura. They're like, they're just stages through which one passes in order to attain to the promised fullness. And I think that um, yeah, C.S. Lewis has this line where he says, when we look back, uh, whether we end up in heaven or whether we end up in hell, we'll, we'll regard our time on earth as basically like, for those in heaven, it'll have been heaven on earth. For those in hell, it will have been hell on earth. Like we'll look back at our time on earth and we'll recognize it. So what we're seeking to cultivate here 
is a recollection or a cognizance of the sense that, that this is heaven on earth, not just by imaginative thinking or mental gymnastics, but by our clinging to Christ, right? Who takes us by the hand and leads us into that fullness step by step over the course of these days and then the eternal day to come. And so when you think about the general judgment, and the general resurrection, all right, if it's this interpersonal reality, it's revealed the role that we played, whether well or ill or, you know, perfectly or limitedly, um, then now that means we can come to a greater appreciation of the role that we play in God's providence. So it's like we can, we can move beyond this understanding that life is just happening to me and things stink and I'm just passing from one whatever to another whatever. Rather, I can see all of this is coming forth from the hand of God as part of the story of my salvation, the salvation of the members of my family, my religious community, those to whom I'm sent in mission, etc. And then I can, I can sympathize with it more. I can kind of give myself to it more. I can, you know, whatever, consent or abandon or whatever. And so, like, based on this image of the general judgment and resurrection, now this time on earth is, hev- is more heavenly, perhaps, not just, again, by thinking it so, but living it so. Yeah, the last day as revelatory, I think, is very important, right? Um, so one, one image we often underscore is the image of Christ's own resurrection. When he, when he comes back in the body, the wounds aren't wiped away, which is weird. Like, if I were God and I died, I would not have the wounds. There, there are many things that I would do differently, but what do I know? I'm not God. So, they, so there we have it. But God, when God dies, comes back and gets a resurrected body and still bears the wounds of what has been suffered. And the wounds become the occasion for faith for the apostles, for Thomas, for example, right? He, he knows by the wounds that this is indeed the Christ, the one who was promised, the one who died, and the one who, who is the cause of our salvation. Okay. So the wounds do, the wounds really do something important. And to lose them is to lose, uh, is to lose what is most essential, to lose, um, to lose a level of understanding, to lose the possibility of recognition. And I think the general resurrection, the general judgment, the resurrection of the body, okay, the last day, um, at that moment, we will be able to see the wounds um, as the entrees to something deeper. I think there's something like that going on. Yeah. I think I was very impressed by some of Pope Benedict's first Wednesday audiences as Pope. It was like maybe 2006 when he talked about Jesus, the apostles, and the early church. And he dedicated a homily or a Wednesday address to each of the apostles. And it was fascinating because when it came to the apostle Thomas, you know, like the church fathers have speculated whether his doubt was good or mixed or bad because, you know, by virtue of the fact that he doubted, we have this awesome testimony of the Lord's wounds into which, you know, he placed his fingers in his hands. Um, it's mixed insofar as, yeah, I mean, the Lord rebukes him immediately after, but he does so in a kind of gentle and even-handed way. It's like, you know, you, you believe because you've seen. Blessed are those who have not seen and who have believed. Okay. But again, then we could also make the judgment on the basis of that, that he just doubts. He's characterized by his doubt. We call him the doubting Thomas. There's nothing good to be salvaged from it. But Pope Benedict kind of just shifts gears and says, regardless of which, I mean, I find it an interesting question, but I'm also interested by other ones. And the one that I'm interested in in this present circumstance is the fact that Christ is no longer recognizable first by his face as he is by his wounds. And so I think that really shapes what we understand by identity and mission. Mm. So it's like, it's the type of thing that will at last be made manifest in the end at the general judgment, in the general resurrection. But the fact that we're they're growing into our identity, we're growing into our mission. And the wounds that we suffer, the wounds that we endure over the course of our earthly lives 
aren't going to be erased because they they tell part of the story. They tell an essential part of the story. So, yeah. Wounds. Weird. Wild. Your thoughts? <laughs> I think the wounds, the lingering scars are important, right? Because they're the key. In my mind, they're the key of balancing the otherwise uh, opposite views that the last day will at once be terrible and glorious, right? So how do we how do we balance these these opposites? How can it be that both things will be true, that the last day will be terrible and the last day will be glorious? Because the prophets tell us both of those things. And I'm loath to say that one of them is untrue. But a scar uh, is at once a terrible and beautiful thing. It is at once um, an awful reminder of a, of a tragic event. Um, it is also glorious because it's not um, uh, it's not what it was. So Christ's wounds um, were not bleeding in the way that they were when he was still at the pillar. They weren't bleeding the way that they were when the crown of thorns was removed from his um, sacred sacred brow. Uh, Christ's wounds were changed by the resurrection. Um, so they will all they were they are glorious wounds. Um, so the wounds that are revealed to us on the last day will also be glorious. So I think this key to balancing both the, the fear of having to, to relive or encounter something terrible and the the, the hope, um, the, the longing, the deepest desire we have for God's glory will, will be balanced there or held in tension um, in the mystery of wounds. Yeah, I think that whenever we come before the unique individual suffering of another human person, we do so with a kind of fear and trembling hmm. because... You know, like we're not going to say like, oh, it's great that you're suffering because that's going to make your life so textured, nuanced, and otherwise subtle. It's just yeah. like, yeah, yeah, I'd rather you jumped out a window than say that to me. Correct. So um, it's like having a hospital chaplain come and say like, the Lord is testing your faith. It's like, no, he's mm. testing my ability not to kill you, um, which is a different thing. Um, so, but, but there are ways in which, you know, there are stories that we know, there are images that we use to highlight the fact that our human lives aren't for preserving, Right there for spending. I think about the three parables in Luke 15 in this regard. So you have the woman who loses the coin, she recovers it. You have the shepherd who loses the sheep, he recovers it. You have the father who loses the son and recovers it. Mm. And I like to think this is not responsible biblical exegesis. This is just my imagination going wild, which whatever. Um, so the woman loses the coin, she recovers it. It says that she throws a party. I bet you she spent that coin in order to host that party. Then the shepherd loses a sheep, he recovers it, he has a party. I bet you they ate sheep at that party. The father loses the son, he recovers him, and then he sent him and back they into the world. ate sons at the... Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> and then he sent him back into the world. He didn't say, like, good, now I want you to stay in this house unto ages of ages. No, he didn't say, like, go back, you know eat pig swill but he said like go and embrace your true mission the point is to leave the house right the point is to go but i think that our lives aren't for you know safekeeping or safeguarding they're for spending they're for expending i'm trying to give an apology for the fact that i'm living my life exhaustedly unto the grave <laughs> but i think that suffering is part of that story so maybe yeah your mm. thoughts on suffering that's right the last the last the last day will be the day where we have um where we have abundant life, right? Like this, this is what Christ promised. I, I came that they might have life and have life to the full, that they might have life abundantly, they might have abundant life. Um, we know that, that, that the fullness of what that means isn't captured on this side of eternity, but will, experience, will be experienced in the someday. Um, I think we have to, we have to bring out um, images of the banquet, right? I kind of touched on this a little bit, that, that this is part of what the last day will be, the, the arrival of the great celebration, um, the stepping into the celebrations that are the eternal wedding feast of the Lamb. Uh, so there, there will be a moment of celebration that, um, that far exceeds what, what we can know, um, 
Father Fabian, the Dominican that taught us philosophy, would say weekly in his class that verse uh, that verse from the Gospels. Nope, it's from Paul. Excuse me. Um, Eyes not seen, ears not heard, nor has it entered in the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love Him. Right? Um, it, it's just it, it's just beyond what what we can capture or dream up in the here and now. And if we don't continue to say that to ourselves, we'll feel trapped and small, and that it's not really worth living for. Mm. Yeah. So. The reality that we await, it's it's glorious, it's abundant, and like we've been highlighting to this point, it's interpersonal. And I think that that brings before our eyes the fact that the Christian life is interpersonal all the way down. Insofar as God is a trinity of persons, Christ extends to us the offer of friendship. We go to him as a communion, right, as a church in an ecclesial body, and that should characterize our lives. So maybe as we, uh, as we wind up, some simple thoughts about living this communion presently with an eye towards the general judgment, the general resurrection, which will be that most intensely interpersonal experience that begins, you know, the fullness of the fullness of the interpersonal life of heaven. So I don't know if you have particular thoughts on that. Yeah, I think one of the, one of the great things about the, the life such as we've been able to live it in the order is um, the frank acknowledgement of faults and, and being, being able to live them um, with each other uh, to understand what they mean, to recognize them. Um, and that it's not done out of, um, it's not done out of a kind of record keeping, but out of a general desire for things to be known for as they are, right? Uh, and to be understood. And I think those two, I think those, those two dimensions of um, trying to express, uh, you know, how you feel and the reality of when you come up short to uh, to another person are ways that we live the general resurrection in the here and now. Boom. Yeah, that's beautiful. I think too, um, yeah, sometimes when we make these corrections, you know, I've, I talk about this often on the podcast, the idea that we have to ask ourselves the question, you know, does it matter? Can this person change? And do I love? Because if I don't love, I'm going to biff it. If they can't change, you know, what are we doing here? And then if it's not important, then maybe it's for me to change. I don't know if St. Therese is a leading light in this regard because that lady in the chapel probably ought to have been corrected, but <laughs> <laughs> alas and alack, maybe she is hard to say. Um, but I think that you know, the, the general judgment and the general resurrection is the place in which we will see in living technicolor, you know, what mattered, what could have changed, and how, like, the love that God poured into our heart was ultimately intended to, to grow the friendships with which he entrusted us, you know, to, like, to love the family that he gave to us. And so it doesn't come again by way of condemnation or accusation in the primary sense, but it comes, it, 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 it's already coming for us now, drawing us to right. that term, bringing us such that we, we live towards his resurrection, which is already at work in our members, which is already being used by our Lord, you know, to, yeah, to, to, to grab us and to lead us into him. All right. So maybe last thought, um, you know, many, many listeners would be upset if we didn't comment on the state of their bodies in heaven. Uh, I know that my mother would be very concerned that she has a Barbie body in heaven and uh, all of this weight watching and Jenny Craiging would be remiss were it not for an eternal reckoning of, you know, like very wonderful proportions and uh, uh, aspect. So um, we've talked a little bit about wounds, but maybe, yeah, further thoughts on the body uh, as it concerns general judgment, general resurrection, our Christian faith. Yeah, the uh, the Barbie body thesis is is undoubtedly an important one. Um, Origen, for example, thought that that uh, all all perfect shapes were round. You know, this is an idea not unique to him. Uh, certainly, Plato thought this, and others. So, some of us are approximating that perfect spherical shape um, with with increasing rapidity here on this side of eternity. Um, 
So, but I, I don't think, I, I, I think it very misleading to believe that that future state will be divorced from how we are now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, I think that there are ways that defects or um, injuries will undoubtedly be part of how God manifests His glory um, in heaven. They would, they will be filled with new meaning. Right. This is the, this is the point of Christ's own wounds, which don't disappear but are transformed and become. The, the moment of possibility for something greater. And I think that's going to be part of directly how we experience being reunited with our own glorified bodies. So um, I am not a defender of the Barbie, <laughs> the Barbie body thesis, um, because I think it neglects, it neglects too far um, how we are now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think, um, I also think it would be boring. Yeah. I think, a room, I think a room full of Barbies is boring and I think a room full of Barbies in heaven is boring. That is, yeah, that is true. I think um, we get some indication from the iconography of the saints. You know, the martyrs are pictured with the engines of their torture, sometimes in gruesome fashion. But more than that, you know, the confessors are pictured with some object which identifies them as having loved the Lord in this particular way. And that's not just for those... You're going to be stuck with that sure microphone in heaven. <laughs> this is going to be the icon of Gregory Pine. Yeah, and I'll, I'll be like on, on the lookout for a chair that doesn't creak as I move around. You know, it's like, sweet Christmas, you know, like, Lord, please, no creaking chairs. And he's like, got you covered. Um, but I think, too, about, you know, the, like the ordinary saints, not necessarily the canonized saints, but the ordinary saints. We talk about how dads grow into their dad bod, and we talk about how, you know, like I'm sure moms experience this, like the, the side of their body that they hold their kids on, that hip is probably real strong, and the other hip is probably wasting away, and they're like, you know, trundling down the road in uneven fashion by virtue of the fact that they brought children into the world. But I think that in heaven, it's where we'll see that that dad bod and that mom hip, you know, glorified in the way in which Christ intended it to be such. And like you said, we'd lose something if all of that were erased or if we all look the same or if we didn't bear in our bodies something unique or something particular to the way in which we sought his love, we sought to respond to his love, we sought to ultimately reflect his love to those whom he has given to us. So, all right, rounding out the scoring. Any final thoughts, final encouragements for listeners? If I'm not wearing a Dominican habit in heaven, I will be very upset. <laughs> yeah, that's a good little, good little Dominican story with which to conclude. St. Dominic had a vision of heaven. He uh, was distressed because he didn't see any Dominicans there. And he asked our Lord, and he's like, hello, is this life not fruitful? And the Lord said, ask the Blessed Virgin Mary. And so he turned to the Blessed Virgin Mary, and then she opened up her mantle, and it was revealed that gathered around her feet were all of the Dominican saints and blesseds. So uh, it gave St. Dominic some encouragement that the life was fruitful and that it produced saints. And certainly we have put all of our eggs in that saint basket. Um, so thanks as always for listening to God's Planning. Please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Like the episode, subscribe on YouTube or your podcast app, and leave a five-star review. All if it's convenient for you, but don't, don't be inconvenienced. Uh, if you'd like to donate to the podcast through Patreon, follow the link in the description or in the show notes. Uh, there you'll also find links to shop our merchandise and to get information for upcoming God's planning events. So know of our prayers for you. Please pray for us, and we'll look forward to chatting with you next time on God's Planning.